Friends, we are here to study God's word together and have the spirit of God edify and strengthen our hearts and our souls and our marriages. So please now open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. I am so excited about the next day and how God might work in each of our lives and in each of our marriages. So, so here's the plan for the time. Is it really hot in here? We're just making up for Sunday mornings when it's really cold. I'm already sweating. That's not a good sign. Smith, you might want to move out of the way. You're in the splash zone tonight. Here's the plan for this time. Tonight's message is entitled Gospel-Shaped Marriage. Uh, Tomorrow morning's sermon, it will be Gospel-Shaped Communication. Rob Flood is coming to share with us. And then the breakout tomorrow is Gospel-Shaped Pursuit. Men and women separate. I will teach one. My beautiful wife Ashley will teach the other. Uh, And then we will conclude tomorrow afternoon with Gospel-Shaped Forgiveness with Jared Mellinger. And so... Uh, If you can't tell, we are going to spend a lot of time talking about the gospel and how it really is the only thing that can lead us towards greater strength and joy and unity in our marriages. Uh, Tonight, friends, I want to begin by taking us to one of the most gospel-rich passages in our Bibles, and that is Philippians chapter 2, which is not specifically a marriage text at all, but uh, I believe has many wonderful applications and implications for our marriages, and for our lives together. And so let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this evening. As you might imagine, this room is filled with couples who are in many different places in life and in marriage. Uh, Some of us would say that we are thriving, and others of us would say without a doubt that we are barely surviving. But no matter where we are, the need remains the same. We need the gospel. Ashley and I have been married for 19 glorious years together, Uh, and I say glorious not only because they have been full and happy years, but I say glorious also because of the need for faith and patience and courage before God and each other throughout that time. 
God's grace has been needed throughout. It has been proven throughout, and that is a truly glorious thing. God's sustaining grace in marriage is miraculous. It is glorious. 19 years of marriage, and I remember two years ago, someone spontaneously asking me, Joel, what was your hardest year of marriage? And I think they expected me to speak of an early year in our marriage. And in that moment... I realized that in order to answer the question honestly, I needed to say to them, uh, I think it's the year that we're in right now. Year 17 was hard. And I, I don't just mean slightly less blissful than the rest. It was hard. And it was almost entirely my fault. I was very slow to see things that Ashley was lovingly bringing to me as her best friend. And I was even slower to repent of them and to confess them once I saw them. It, it felt like conflict happened almost every day that year. We struggled to love each other. We, we had long, long, long conversations about our relationship and how we were not loving each other as well as we could in specifically ways that I had failed to love Ashley for quite some time. We were at odds a lot, disagreeing about both small and big things. We were, we were calling up friends and asking for counsel and for help. I remember confessing my sin to Jason and Sean and Everett and Nathan and Drew and Scott and Dominic and Kyle and I did a lot of confessing of sin that year, a lot of asking for prayer. It was not easy, and it didn't pass quickly. It wasn't like, oh, that was a hard week. It was a whole year of struggle. But my friends, God was faithful. God was kind, and God was good throughout it. As Ashley and I felt our weakness and need in a greater way than we ever had before within our marriage, we knew that we could not rely on our own strength and wisdom. The, the Holy Spirit within us did his good work of not allowing us to center around ourselves, but, but caused us to see our need and then to see the answer to that need. And what was that answer? Friends, it was the gospel. It was the good news of our salvation in Jesus Christ and his gracious work on our behalf. Yeah, we needed marriage counseling. We got marriage counseling. Yes, we needed prayer. We asked for it all the time. Yes, we needed extended and long conversations. But what we needed more than all of that and what we needed through all of that was more of the gospel. During that season, I wanted so badly to just lean on my own understanding. I often did lean on my own understanding, and it just made conflict worse. I wanted to defend myself. Ashley wanted to defend herself. We both wanted to prove ourselves right. But God lovingly, graciously, mercifully helped us to remember our identity in Jesus, and it enabled us to have the painful but necessary conversations that ultimately led towards greater unity and reconciliation by God's grace. And I am so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful for its ongoing work in our lives as his people. And having experienced such a year as that, I am I'm so excited to preach the gospel to you as married couples this evening. Because friends, this is what we need, isn't it? Marriage is amazing. We shouldn't badmouth marriage when it gets hard. Marriage is a gift. Marriage is a joy. But marriage also can be hard. And if we do not stand on the right foundation, the joy of marriage will quickly be lost in the difficulties and conflicts that we encounter. And so we need the gospel. Amen? Main idea for tonight's sermon is very simple, and it is this. The gospel changes everything in our marriages. 
The gospel changes everything in our marriages. And we have four points. Number one, the foundation for marriage. Number two, the united goal of marriage. Number three, the unifying power for marriage. And number four, the joyful pursuit of marriage. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, the foundation for marriage. Uh, Some of you have probably heard me talk about the missions trip that I took many years ago to the nation of Haiti. It was was after the catastrophic earthquake that hit that nation where so many lives were lost. And so I went with a group of people to help those who had been affected by the earthquake. And while we were there, one of the most interesting things that we learned was that the reason the earthquake was so bad and the damage was so severe was that the nation of Haiti had never had an earthquake before, ever, or at least in recorded history. They'd never had even a small earthquake. And so for centuries, the nation had built their buildings to withstand hurricanes and to withstand tornadoes and tropical storms, but they had not built their buildings to withstand an earthquake. And so when that massive earthquake came, buildings which did not have proper foundations completely crumbled to the ground and lives were destroyed. Having a right and strong foundation to withstand an earthquake matters, doesn't it? That is true of buildings and that is true for marriages. I don't know whether you have experienced a 7.0 earthquake in your marriage or not. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't yet. But what I do know is that every marriage will have big and small earthquakes at some point. And what foundation we are standing on together matters greatly. And, And sadly, if I was to be honest, I think that it is true that many marriages, even within the church, are sadly not built on very strong foundations. Maybe because before your wedding, you didn't experience any earthquakes. Maybe, maybe you had a few squabbles, a, a few gusts of windy conflict, but, but the engagement season leading up to the wedding was not so intense that you felt the need to really build your foundation strong. And so now, whether you realize it or not, you're not ready for the earthquakes that will inevitably come. So some of you have already had those earthquakes come, and you have su- seen very clearly that the foundation was not what it should be. But friends, praise God that that even if our marriages were not initially built on the right foundation, or even if they were, but the foundation has begun to crack, praise God that he is able to reestablish our marriage in the right place. Look look at verses 1 to 2 of our text. Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Friends, when Paul says that, it it almost sounds like he's being critical of the Philippians at first, doesn't it? That he's being doubtful that there is any evidence of these things in their lives. But, But that is not at all the point of what Paul is saying. Paul has already commended the Philippians for their love and generosity and unity multiple times in chapter 1. So so he is using the word if in this verse. He's saying if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort, if any participation, he's using it as a way to spark them towards greater awareness of the foundation that they stand on and the strength that it gives to them where they are. In, In a sense, Paul is saying, Philippians... Are your feet set on Christ? Do do you believe in him? Have you been comforted by his grace or experienced the power of his spirit? But Paul is saying, "I, I know that you have, and so therefore let us pursue unity and being of the same mind together. In other words, Paul is looking at these Christian men and women in Philippi, and he's saying, I see Christ in you. I see where you are, and you should see this too. 
You, you've experienced the encouragement and affection and, and sympathy of God's love in Jesus. And so, Philippians, you have everything that you need to remain strong and united together. And Redeemer Couples, though, though this is not a marriage passage, it applies perfectly to our marriages. Friends, have we not experienced God's grace? Has he not been merciful to each and every one of us individually? Isn't it it not amazing how patient he has been towards you, husbands? How patient he has been towards you, wives? Hasn't he shown compassion to us in our weakness and in our failings? Hasn't he loved us faithfully and cared for us deeply? He has. And friends, I see it in all of you. Brothers and sisters, there is much grace on your lives. Even even you being here tonight, it speaks of your awareness of Jesus. Is there any encouragement in Jesus? Yes, you know that there is, which is why you're here tonight, even though it might not have been easy to come tonight, even though you may be discouraged by where your marriage is currently at, even though you probably wish that marriage came easier to you and your spouse, that it just seemed to click like it does for other people. Listen, is there encouragement in him? Yes, there is. Let's consider the gospel together. The foundation that we stand on as Christian men and women, Christian husbands and and wives, the foundation that we stand on is first that we know we're sinners. We know we are weak. We we know how messed up we are and how many mistakes we've made. We, We don't need to hide that in our conversations about ourselves or our marriages. But friends, we also know that our God is merciful and gracious, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and that in his faithfulness, he has come to us in Jesus. God himself has has entered into our mess. He's entered into this world and even into the mess of your marriage. And he has died for you. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So listen, the foundation that we stand on as Christians... It's not our personalities and what we bring to the table. The foundation for our marriage, if you are a Christian, is not the foundation of whether you and your spouse are compatible together, whether you work, whether you have good chemistry or not. The foundation that you stand on is is not whether you have loved each other perfectly well or not. The foundation is not whether you have made mistakes or even been unfaithful or not. The foundation is not your past family or your parents and the example that you did or did not get from them for what marriage is. No, the foundation for your marriage, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, is the grace of God. The heart of God and the work of God to make your life become a testimony of his work. It's it's not your doing. It's his doing. Your foundation is strong. It is his goodness and his power. Not your goodness and certainly not your power because you don't have any to bring to the table. Friends, there really is no better foundation for marriage than this. Nothing else can support the years of marriage ahead of us. Nothing else can endure through sin and weakness and even unfaithfulness. Every other foundation will crack when earthquakes come. But the grace of God is strong. It is sure. It will not be shaken. It is what every man and woman in this room needs more than anything else. And so let's cling to the gospel. 
Let us as husbands and wives resolve to be all about the gospel, not, not just when we're at church on Sunday morning singing the songs, not just when we are at fellowship group discussing God's word, but every day as husbands and wives, as best friends in marriage, let's, let's make the gospel central to who we are. It really is the only thing that has the ability to hold our marriages fast. Friends, that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the united goal of marriage. So throughout chapter one, Paul has already commended the Philippians for their unity. He sees unity among them. But now in chapter two, he's exhorting them to not presume upon that unity, to not think that their unity will be easily maintained, particularly when trials come. That would be a mistake for them. And so he tells them and he tells us that we are to pursue unity together. But listen, how Paul tells them to pursue this unity matters greatly. Look at verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. When Paul says there, being of the same mind, the, the literal translation of that is think the same things. Paul says, I want you to think the same things together. Now, that does not mean that we are to be identical to each other. It doesn't mean that we have to like the same things and cheer for the same sports teams and have the same hobbies and never disagree about anything and be identical. No, he describes what thinking the same things means when he says in verse 5 that the same mind that we are to have together is the same mind as Jesus. It is to think the same way as Jesus himself. Jesus, whose mind was set on the glory of God the Father and whose mind refused to value anything over God's love and his call to love his people. It was this mind of Christ that led to the unifying work of the gospel through Christ. Friends, I think this is very important. Unity in the Christian life, unity in marriage does not happen when we focus on unity itself. Unity happens as a byproduct of focusing on something else. And that something else is the glory and the love of God. Listen, if we think that the united goal of our marriage is our own idea of unity, well then we will always be divided as couples because every husband and every, every wife is going to have a different idea of what that unity will look like. The husband will think that unity means no conflict, working hard together, and having sex every night. The wife will think that unity means having long conversations and going and walks and doing activities together. The, the husband might think that, that unity means just existing as roommates and, and not having conflict, and that means that you're united. But the, the wife thinks that unity means sharing every moment and every thought that you ever have had together. The, the, the wife might think that unity means picking up laundry and, and doing dishes, while the husband thinks that unity means just being a little bit more chill and casual about life. If those things are what unity means to us, then as long as we fight for our own understanding of unity we are always going to remain divided. But as soon as we have a united goal which is outside of our own perspective, then unity will be the byproduct. Which is why Paul says, 
to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, because Jesus prioritized something outside of himself, the glory of God the Father. Listen to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Even even though it is written for a church community, I I think it can be powerfully applied to marriage. We're going to insert the word marriage into where he talks about Christian community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, those who love their dream of of a Christian marriage more than they love the Christian marriage itself become destroyers of that Christian marriage, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. He says, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized marriage demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They, they enter into the community or the, into marriage with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. And friends, he goes on to say that as long as we pursue community or, or marriage according to our own desires, we're going to be disappointed But as soon as we pursue Christ together and and love for each other in Christ and through Christ, then we will experience the unity that we see in Scripture. Friends, this is the united goal of marriage. Unity comes not by focusing on ourselves or on unity itself, but by focusing on Christ. Friends, do you know what that means? I don't want to oversimplify it, but the equation for a God-glorifying marriage is this. Run after Jesus together. Run after Jesus together. The the, the united goal of marriage should not be unity itself. It should be the glory of God in your marriage. And this is so important because there are going to be so many times throughout the years of marriage when you don't feel united. And many times when you actually are not united. But that doesn't mean that you have missed the goal of marriage or that you are failing as a husband or wife. No, it means that you have an opportunity to stay on target together through that division and through that conflict. You, you can have a marriage that, that oftentimes feels disunited, but actually is still very united as you work through the grit and grime of marital conflict because you are resolved to glorify God even through the mess. Unity is not the ultimate goal. It is the wonderful byproduct of the ultimate goal, which is the glory of God in our lives, even as we deal with messy things. So friends, listen, do, do you feel disunited right now? Are you coming in weary? Is it, is it, does it feel like your sin is getting the better of you and your marriage? Sin will often make us feel so disunited, but that does not mean that our marriage is broken or that we cannot still bring glory to God. Even if there are years of baggage behind us, we can bring him great glory by just not giving up when our marriage doesn't look exactly like we thought that it would look or by not giving up when we've fought for reconciliation for the 20th time and it still doesn't seem to be happening easily. We can bring great glory to God as we remain on target towards that end not towards our own desires or dreams of what marriage should be. When our minds are set on Jesus and the gospel and his example of living not for himself but for the glory of God, well, then that will compel us towards unity together. As we each run towards Jesus, we get closer and closer and closer together. He is the united goal of marriage. Don't don't idolize some human idea or Instagram-made idea of what a good marriage looks like. Worship God. Pursue Jesus. 
fight through the grime and you will experience unity in him together. And friends, that brings us to our third point. Point number three, the unifying power for marriage. Now praise God. (laughs) Praise God that Paul does not leave us in just the difficult call that he has given to us. Praise God that he doesn't just say, think this way together and then leave us to do it in our own strength. We would all be in trouble. Paul does so much more than that for us. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is a hard calling. I mean, who of us can truly do that when we ourselves are selfish sinners and we are married to a very selfish sinner as well? But then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, you can do this because this mind of Christ is already yours in Christ. Jesus has done a work to save us from our sinful and selfish ways. That, you know what this makes me think of? It makes me think of my, one of my favorite passages on unity in the Bible, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that to be divided, to be in conflict, is to be merely human. To fight endlessly in marriage, to, to be against your spouse all the time, to hold grudges against each other, to be nitpicky towards your spouse, to be judgmental, to mistreat or disrespect or manipulate or to gaslight your spouse. Paul, Paul says all of that is to be merely human. You're just being human. It is to be like those in the world who do not know Jesus and who do not have the hope of the gospel within them. But Redeemer friends, we are not merely human, are we? We're not. We, we have had our old selves crucified with Christ and we have been raised as immortal beings with the Holy Spirit, with the power of God dwelling within us. We're not merely human any longer. We have the very presence and power of God within us, enabling us to not have needless rivalries and selfish ambition in our lives. Isn't that amazing? It's good news for us. Do you guys experience this in your marriage as well? Ashley and I can just be stupid petty sometimes. Can you? You know what I'm talking about? We can just be stupid petty. Trivial conceit and and selfish ambition can be felt towards each other. We're best friends in the world. There's no one that I enjoy more in my life than Ashley, but I can sin against her so quickly when I let rivalry make me want to prove myself right about something really dumb. This particularly happens when we play board games and she beats me. That is not a good moment. I've sinned much. But it's more than just that. And it is ridiculous. We can allow the smallest comment or criticism or critique lead us towards conflict and disunity. I grieve over how many wonderful date nights were ruined by our petty conceit and endless rivalry. But friends, we do not need to be selfishly ambitious or to have endless rivalries among us. We do not need to be petty. Paul says in our text that there is a different mindset which is now ours in Christ Jesus. We are no longer merely human. And it's not just that we have been raised from the dead to live with supernatural abilities, with God's Holy Spirit within us and His power dwelling within us. It's not just that we're no longer merely human. It's that God has given us a wonderfully clear path to follow on this road of marriage. 
Look at verse 6 in our text. Who, who, though he was in the form of God, it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What an extraordinary example to follow for what it means to live, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. The, the, the goal of Christ himself was the glory of his Father. You can see that in verse 11. But the result of following that goal for Jesus was a selflessness and a sacrifice and a servanthood that ultimately led to unity between God and humanity. And Paul is saying that it is the same for you, Christian. When we keep our eyes set on the glory of God and, and follow this example of Christ, we're going to live lives and, and foster marriages that will bring about great glory to God through the unity that we share. This is the pathway towards glory. And it is the pathway towards a healthy marriage. This is exactly what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. But he doesn't just leave it there as a command. He says, as to the Lord. The goal is not just submission in and of itself. The goal is glorifying the Lord through your strong submission and faithful humility. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The, the, the pathway towards marital unity is the same pathway of faith-filled sacrifice towards God that Christ himself walked. It involves death, it involves humility, but it brings great unity and great joy. We must so trust Jesus and the complete work that he has done for us and our security in him, that we become willing to pick up our own crosses to follow him, even in marriage. To lay aside our glory and our demands to be seen as right. The path forward in, in marriage is to lay your life down for the glory of God towards your spouse. You're not even laying it down for your spouse. That's part of it, but ultimately, and most importantly, it's for God. If you could have, Christ says, if you would be great, you must become servant of all. Friends, if we would have a great marriage, we must both become servants of each other. And friends, this has been proven over and over and over again. It, it's true throughout God's word. It is the template that we are to follow. You, you see it in, in healthy and biblical communication. That the healthiest communication between husband and wife happens when we, like James, are slow to speak and quick to hear and, and quick to listen and, and slow to anger. When we lay aside our own preferences and perspectives and are slow to respond, it, it, it works in communication. This is what we need. Th this is true in the bedroom. Couples with the greatest intimacy are not those who demand their own way from their spouse, but are those who are constantly seeking to serve their spouse. They're trying to outdo the other in making them happy and satisfied. The, the, the couple who experience the greatest joy and unity in marriage are those who spend less time looking at their spouse and more time looking at themselves in the mirror and considering how they can glorify God through sacrifice and service in communication, in the bedroom, and in 
all of life. This is one of the reasons why I love the the, the re-engage course so much because it encourages the spouses participating in it to stay in their own circles and to focus on their own issues and to only serve their spouses rather than criticize them or demand things from them. It's a direct application of Philippians chapter 2. Friends, there is power that is available to you this evening. So husbands and wives... Do you feel powerless? Are you coming into this retreat somewhat hopeless and discouraged? Are you tired of conflict in the home? Are you hoping for more unity in your marriage? Are you tired of fighting? Do you assume tonight that your marriage is the worst marriage in the room or that you are alone in the struggle? That there is power available to you in the completed and powerful example of Jesus. Jesus, who was in the very form of God. Jesus, who did not need to serve anybody. Jesus, who deserved to be served by everybody, but chose to lay aside his glory and to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to hold on to, to demand, but emptied himself. Friends, I think that there are some of you here who need to consider the example of Christ in a greater way tonight. Some of us are grasping to our demand to be seen as right. Some of us are grasping at being seen as wise or grasping at the respect that we think that we deserve or grasping at being validated for the arguments that we've made. Some of us are are grasping at having the last word or having our marriages meet our dreams and desires in the way that we hope. But we need to reconsider We need to look at Christ who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. What an example for us to follow. This is the unifying power for each and every one of our marriage. Jesus has, has gone before us, and he did it for the joy that was set before him, and he did it for our joy. That brings us to our fourth and final point, the the joyful pursuit of marriage. Hebrews chapter 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross, which we see here in Philippians chapter 2. Joy, happiness, blessing, the joy that we see in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 where it says that because of his humble sacrifice now every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I love that when it says every knee and every tongue it's, it's showing the byproduct of, of unity that comes through living for the glory of the Father. In the end there's going to be unity. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And I want to end by highlighting the the eternal and the immediate joy that will come by having the mind of Christ and following in his footsteps. This text makes it clear that in the end, on that day, those who do not have the mind of Christ will be proven wrong. And I think this is important to say when, when starting a marriage retreat together because there's a whole lot of worldly counsel out there that comes against biblical wisdom for your marriage. 
worldly counsel that comes against the, the God-given roles of men and women in the home, our complementarian convictions. There's a whole lot of worldly wisdom that, that does not say to be long-suffering or forbearing with your spouse, but, but rather says to complain against them, to speak behind their back when needed, find a way to separate from them and not be united to them. But in the end, on that day, that counsel will come to nothing. And even now, that counsel is ruining marriages all around us. Biblical wisdom is, is not easy. It is incredibly costly. Picking up your cross is by definition painful. Laying aside your glory as Christ did is costly, but Christ has proven that it is the way to glory. It is the way to peace, and it is the way towards joy for him and for all who follow him. And so let me encourage you right now as we are beginning this retreat, let me encourage you to lean in to what God is going to speak to you this weekend. I think we're all going to be challenged and convicted. I don't know if you've gone to a marriage retreat before, but Ashley and I have found that, that the devil is particularly active when we come into these contexts because he hates what we are doing here. And so let me encourage you to prayerfully lean into what God has. I'm confident there are going to be moments when we will all be made uncomfortable, when we will all feel some level of conviction, and moments when we will want to defend ourselves or prove ourselves right. Let's lean in to Christ and the grace that he has for us. Let's trust that God's word is true and in the end, he will be proven right even when what he says is so different from the world around us and even, even so different from our own flesh. Even as Christ has for us, let us walk on the road of humility together, on the road of sacrifice where the greatest joy in marriage can be found. It is how God has made it, and it is for our good. And so let us trust him together, and let us offer to him a sacrifice of praise this weekend as we listen, as we discuss, and as we fellowship with humility together. Amen.